As Mayor Francis Slay approached a microphone at St. Louis's old courthouse to make remarks about Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., a crowd began to boo and drown him out. It was January 21st, 2008. Slay was there alongside politicians, civic leaders, and residents for the city's annual MLK Day celebration. And that's when a group of protesters began chanting, Slay must go. The reason? Months prior, Slay's administration had demoted the city's first African-American fire chief, who was also in attendance. And that man, Sherman George, tried to appeal to the protesters. I certainly appreciate your support. So today, we're really trying to get to the program. So there you have it. A white mayor at the historic courthouse where the slave Dred Scott sued for his freedom, trying to speak about civil rights hero Martin Luther King Jr. and getting booed by a mostly black crowd. It was a dramatic moment in Slay's tenure, one of several that show his legacy on race relations is almost as divided as the city itself. This is The Millennium Mayor, an exploration of Francis Slay's legacy in St. Louis. I'm your host, Rachel Lipman. And I'm bringing in St. Louis Public Radio's Stephanie Lecce to help explore some other racial flashpoints in Slay's career and what they say about the city's continuing struggle with its black-white racial divides. Now, it's important to start by saying that these racial divides, specifically between the black and white communities here, have been ingrained in St. Louis for decades. And why that is could be a whole different podcast series in itself. But we're going to focus on Mayor Slay's record on race relations. He certainly recognized what challenges were set before him when he took office in 2001. There is racial polarization here. And until we find ways to... um make everyone feel that they have opportunity and the opportunities there and it's equal, uh, we will never be a great city. And Sherman George himself, the guy whose demotion set off that booing of Slay we just heard, George said he was, quote, hopeful when Slay first took office. I thought that perhaps he would be the one to try to bring the city together. So I just thought things would be better for African-Americans in the city of St. Louis. Now, why was it that people thought Slay, this white guy, could get the ball rolling on race relations? Well, part of it comes down to his family's history. Back in the 1950s and 60s, the family's restaurant, Slay's, located on the hill, was one of the few white-owned restaurants to serve black patrons. And that created some strong relationships between Slay's power broker father and several black leaders. His politician dad was also known for working to get more African-Americans elected to city offices. Did his family's relationship with the black community come into play when Slay first ran for mayor in 2001? Well, here's the thing. Slay beat both the city's first and second black mayors in the Democratic primary. And the vote in this primary split along racial lines. Heavily white wards overwhelmingly supported Slay, while he got less than 10 percent of the vote in each of the city's four most heavily black wards. But longtime political reporter Joe Manis says Slay had tried to avoid any hint of racial politics in that election. He was campaigning on competence, saying that he had been Board of Alderman president. He was familiar with city government. He did not want to make this personal. And he had he was very open about saying this is not about race, this is about competence, this is about the future of the city. We hear Slay touch on this theme at other points in his tenure, that the decisions he's making aren't about race as much as pragmatism. And when do we first see this happen after he takes office? Immediately. 
After taking office, he got into a nasty redistricting fight. See, the 2000 U.S. Census had come out, and it showed a major population decline in the city to the tune of 48,000 residents. That is a lot of people. Yeah, and it was particularly devastating in North St. Louis. So the city had to redraw its aldermanic ward boundaries to account for this, and it led to a big showdown between Slay and some black aldermen. Why was that? Well, Slay basically worked out a deal with some aldermen that were his allies that would take the 20th ward in North St. Louis and move it south around Benton Park. So Northside aldermen were outraged because they saw this as taking away both power and resources. Longtime civil rights activist and major Slay critic Percy Green says there was also a political motivation. Just to get rid of a person who was very vocal, uh, Sharon Tyus, the 20th Ward older person at the time. And we should note that Tyus is black. Right. Now, to give you a sense of how upset some aldermen were over Slay's new map, they attempted to filibuster it. And it devolved into this chaotic scene you hear in a video by future alderman Antonio French from his PubDef website. Alderwoman, alderwoman. Now, you want her to pee in here? She's getting ready to do that. No, she can, she... In the middle of this filibuster attempt, Alderman Irene Smith asked to use the bathroom, but board president Jim Shrewsbury said if she left, she'd give up the floor. So as supporters blocked the view with sheets, Smith allegedly peed in a trash can in order to hold the floor to keep the filibuster going. I'm sorry, what was that? Yeah, many St. Louisans will probably remember this incident. It did make national news. And the backlash was swift. Smith was charged with public urination, though those charges were later dropped. And Mayor Slay publicly condemned her, saying her, quote, conduct is unacceptable. So how much did this impact Slay's standing in the black community? Politically, not a whole lot. By the 2005 Democratic primary, when he's running the first time for re-election, he actually got endorsements from some black political leaders. Really? Yes. And if you look at the results, he actually got more support from the city's most heavily black wards in that primary than he had in his first run. In fact, the most he would in all his primary elections. Now, if I'm remembering 2005 correctly, he's running against Irene Smith of the filibuster fame, right? Yes. And she brought up that redistricting fight again in a 2005 primary debate. I think one of the biggest mistakes that the present administration has made was was relative to two things, and that is to the redistricting involvement in in a very racially divisive redistricting process that actually took resources out of North St. Louis to the tune of about a half a million dollars a year. A half million dollars. Was that true? Well, listen to Slay's response during that debate. But to suggest that we have somehow, by moving a ward boundaries, we have somehow taken money out of North St. Louis, it's just simply not true. And again, there's been a shift in population. There are, there are people of color now living in large numbers in South St. Louis, and they need to be served as well. So it is, you know, certainly there's somebody going to make a, a racial issue out of this, but believe me, we're doing this based on uh, race-neutral standards. And that's kind of been this approach Slay has taken on a lot of issues in the city, this race-neutral approach. Can you explain that a little more? Actually, he described it pretty well in that same debate. No matter where you go, people pretty much want the same things. And in most issues are race-neutral. They want good schools. They want quality jobs. They also want uh, 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 good, safe neighborhoods. And what I've been doing for four years is, um, is putting together and working on partnerships that uh, find uh, Colorblind Solutions. Harlan Hodge, a co-director of Focus St. Louis's Youth Leadership Program, says those partnerships, that coalition building, is Slay's strong suit. I believe that 
He has done a great job of bringing people to the table to have conversations about how to move forward. And he's, he started us on that path. But not everyone in the Black community felt they had a place at that table, like this caller Robbie on a 2004 St. Louis on the Air episode. We find it easier to go to Springfield, Illinois, and Chicago, Illinois, and Washington, D.C. to get our concerns heard than we do coming to the office of Mr. Mayor. Did the mayor respond to that? Yeah. Slay told Robbie that he not only worked closely with civic groups like the Black Leadership Roundtable and Black Clergy Coalition, but also met frequently with Black residents at their homes and even in senior centers. But Rena Hajat Carroll of the Diversity Awareness Partnership says those relationships are only as good as the conversations taking place, and talking about racial disparities is hard. What we want to avoid is having the real conversation about what's happening in our Black American communities and the disparities that exist and the services that are so different in different communities based on race. And those are the conversations that we're not having. We're not willing to have those because they're harder, they're uncomfortable, and quite frankly, they're disturbing. And there's also this perception that Slay hasn't put resources in neighborhoods that need them the most, which also tend to be many of the city's Black neighborhoods, especially on the north side, which St. Louis resident Matt Frederick says is a blatantly political strategy. It seemed pretty clear, even I think to a lot of Slay's voters, that Slay's voters were going to be first in line when it came to, to getting resources and neighborhoods in North St. Louis that were predominantly African-American were going to be last in line. What does the Slay administration say about Frederick's perception? His chief of staff, Mary Ellen Ponder, says Slay was being practical and strategic about where to invest in order to boost the whole city. The central corridor is the strength of the city, and you have to build on strengths. You can't build in the middle of, you know, vacancy. You've got to have some sort of strength to build upon. And so that's where we were going with that. So, again, it's this idea that what they're doing isn't racial or political. It's just pragmatic. Right. And this narrative of Slay taking practical, colorblind, race-neutral approaches pops up again during what many call the defining moment of his 16-year legacy on race relations. The way he treated the first black fire chief, Chief George. Sherman George, the fire chief. Terminating Sherman George. Sherman George. The history of Sherman George. Ah, so we've finally gotten back to the MLK debuting we talked about at the beginning of the episode. What led up to that moment? Well, there had been tensions for years about racial divides within the city's fire department. That's why it was such a big deal when in 1999, Sherman George was named the first black fire chief in the department's 154-year history. Here he is talking about the department's tensions. Anybody in politics at the time that did not know that there were friction in the within the fire department about African-American firefighters and, and promotional practices, I would have to, I guess, they were asleep for 20 years. What's he talking about there with these promotional practices? Basically, the tests used to make promotions of firefighters have been controversial for decades. In 1976, a federal court found those tests discriminated against black firefighters and ordered the city to make changes. And the city sued again over them in federal court in 2004. And what was Chief George's take on these tests? Well, he was concerned they didn't promote the most qualified candidates because they relied too much on multiple choice questions and not enough on testing the skills of a firefighter on the ground. You know, I always give this example, you know, what do you do when you apply for a driver's license? Well, you do a multiple choice test. 
But finally, you have to do what? You have to get in the car and drive. But what did George say about the racial disparities in who was getting promoted based on those tests? Well, Chris King of the St. Louis American, who covered this controversy extensively, says George was concerned about that, too. I mean, he was insistent from the beginning to the end that I want a test that adequately tests fire scene knowledge. It just so happens that the one that most adequately tests fire scene knowledge also is more equal by race. So George put a halt on promotions while all of this worked its way through the courts. But when a federal judge ruled in 2007 that the tests didn't discriminate, Mayor Slay called for the promotions to go forward. Slay said it was about safety and getting the best candidates out there, a practical, not racial matter. What I want to do from my standpoint is get the promotions made, and then, then, we need, then and only then can we move on with addressing the, the real crux of the problem here. You know, what do we need to do to address the racial divide in the department? Because that's, that's kind of what this is all about. So what happened next? The city basically gave George a deadline, make the promotions or else. Meanwhile, Slay appointed a new director of public safety, Charles Bryson, who as George's supervisor demanded he make the promotions. And I'm going to guess that George didn't. Right. And Bryson demoted George that October and replaced him with a white chief. Now, here's the thing about that. This man, Bryson, who demoted the city's first black fire chief, is himself a black man. And George, who shortly thereafter retired, has some strong language to describe what he thinks happened. I resented the fact that they went out to get a, another black man to get rid of me. I, I really resented that, and I, I just never will forget that one. I mean, it's like you see the movie 12 Years a Slave. They got the, the other black man to beat the black man, you know. That is incredibly strong. Oh, and he goes further. You know, I don't publicly call anyone a racist. Really don't. But if you deprive minorities out of jobs. I don't know what else to call you. And clearly, if we go back to the booing at MLK Day, some members of the Black community are outraged over this whole incident, too. Definitely. For months leading up to that incident, hundreds of people protested, including a coalition of Black clergy at City Hall. Members of the Black Caucus and the Board of Aldermen asked Slay to reconsider George's demotion, and an ultimately unsuccessful recall attempt was launched against Slay. Listen to this clip from Alderman Antonio French's PubDef website of then-state representative Jamila Nasheed during a recall rally. Slay has continually played racial politics in the city of St. Louis. That's right. And remember Percy Green, the Slay critic? He chose to make decisions to serve his interests, and and that's where I define as racism. But later, Slade defended himself on the Sherman-George case. I I don't think we could have handled that any better. Um, It was not an easy situation, but um, that was one that uh, I thought we, we gave a lot of thought to. And going into his 2009 race, where he was seeking his third term, he told St. Louis on the air that he had support in the black community. For example, he had endorsements from the ward organizations in five of the 12 wards represented by black aldermen. And we've done a lot to uh, address issues that impact disproportionately the, the black uh, community, whether it's trying to, uh, uh, you know, deal with uh, affordable housing initiatives, uh, lead poisoning in children, uh, quality education, reducing crime. A lot of things that we've been doing has been uh, helping directly people all over the city of St. Louis, including the black community. So it sounds like he isn't worried per se about the fallout on this election. 
No, but in that primary, his support in the city's most heavily black wards dropped from his previous run. Still, his support among the most heavily white wards remained steady. And Slay said he had made a difference in the city. I think most people look back and see the city's better off today than it was eight years ago. And, uh, you know, we, we need to keep the progress moving. Did people agree with Slay that things had gotten better? I heard responses as divided as Slay's voting returns. For example, Isaiah DiLorenzo, who happens to work as a program administrator for the Urban League, says as a longtime St. Louis resident, he hasn't seen the mayor bring in enough voices to move the city past its historic tensions. Those years seem marked by division and hard feelings. And I know politics is rough, but I was so frequently disappointed with the lack of coalition building And Harlan Hodge, remember from Focus St. Louis, acknowledges that some people may feel Slay isolated certain parts of the community. Still, Hodge defends Slay's track record over time. Mayor Slay transcended the primary defining characteristic of him in his first four years. He became more than just a white man who was managing our city. I think that he really became a person who wanted to do something great for our city. And again, it's the relationships and the inclusion that does that. And to be fair, Slay has shown that kind of bringing together of people in his own internal staff. Yes, that's true. In 2013, he's lauded for having a cabinet that's 32% black and 36% female. It should also be noted that Slay created the city's first Office of Diversity and Inclusion. Rena Hajat Carroll of the Diversity Awareness Partnership commends Slay's administration for creating that new office, but says its approach to diversity and inclusion was limited. Because the issue of race in St. Louis is so divisive that the fact of the matter that you would lose some part of your constituency when you start talking about race and white privilege and racial inequity is, is real. So Carroll says that new diversity office doesn't prioritize racial equity issues. In other words, not everyone has the same access to opportunities, and they also don't start off at the same place even if they get those chances. She says the Slay administration instead focuses a lot on immigration. It's easy to talk about immigration in New Americans because you can couch that conversation in workforce, in culture, in different types of restaurants. And so it's easy. It's a comfortable conversation to have. And who doesn't want to go to a really good Indian restaurant or a new Thai restaurant? Still, Carol says the Slay administration has done, quote, phenomenal work around immigration. That's pretty high praise. What's driving his support of immigrants in St. Louis? Well, Anna Crossland of the International Institute, which works extensively with immigrant and refugee populations, she says for Slay, it's as much an economic issue as a humanitarian one. Again, practical. One of the things that I have really valued about Mayor Slay is his willingness to reach out to these newcomers and his understanding that while they are needy when they first arrive, that they very quickly become an important part of the fiber of a city that is uh, seeking to reverse decline in many ways. I'm guessing she's talking about declines like the city's population, right? Right. By 2010, the city's lost another 29,000 people. Plus, a 2012 St. Louis University study showed that the city really lagged in immigration behind other metropolitan areas and that St. Louis's economy could really benefit from it. And so that's why Slay throws his support behind things like the Regional Mosaic Project, which is trying to tap into that economic benefit of having a bigger foreign-born population. Right. And that's made a big difference, says Caroline Fan. 
St. Louis would really be in economic and population decline without the influx of people coming from other cities and other countries. Fan is president of OCA St. Louis, which advocates on behalf of the city's Asian Pacific American population. And Fan says statewide, Asian Americans and Latinos contribute billions to the economy. And she says Slay's worked hard to help immigrant business owners here in St. Louis. One of the things that Slay did was he signed an agreement with the former small business administrator, Maria Contreras-Sweet, to promote immigrant entrepreneurship and partnerships with the Small Business Administration here in the city. Right. So I don't know if folks know about these things. Fan says she wishes Slay had done more outreach to the city's Asian-American community, but she says where he's really been visionary is in his support of refugees. Didn't St. Louis already have a reputation for helping refugees before Slay? That's true. Most people think of the Bosnians who came to St. Louis in the 1990s. Although, as Fan points out, St. Louis also was welcoming Vietnamese refugees in 1975. But in fairness, Slay continued this tradition with his offer to take in 60 unaccompanied minors migrating from Central America in 2014. I get that Americans disagree on what is the best immigration policy, but we can disagree on the politics and still agree to help children who are caught in the middle of all of this. And we can show the country that St. Louis is a caring place for everyone, no matter what your circumstances may be. But part of Slay's passion is because of his family history. His grandparents immigrated from what's now Lebanon, though at the time it was part of Ottoman Syria. My uh, grandparents were Syrian immigrants. They came to this country. They raised their family here. They built a business. Uh, they, they got involved in government. I'm involved in government now. Uh, so there's a lot of potential here in this in this room and in this building. So Slay made those comments while he was at the International Institute during its first Thanksgiving event for new refugees. And a lot of the people there were actually Syrian refugees. And Slay has been an outspoken supporter of resettling Syrian refugees here in St. Louis. There's a lot of misinformation about what's going on and the impact of these, these lovely families coming to our city. St. Louis and our nation has been built on immigration. This is a matter of human dignity, of human respect, and love for our brothers and sisters around the world. Now, immigration is an area where Mayor Slay has earned some praise, but there's a big black-white racial flashpoint we haven't touched on yet. Ferguson. So, right, a lot of the actual events related to Michael Brown's 2014 shooting death by then-Ferguson officer Darren Wilson took place in St. Louis County, not here in the city. But that didn't mean that the issues it brought up about the criminal justice system, about police-community relations, disparities in traffic stops and arrests didn't apply to the city. And Carol from the Diversity Awareness Partnership says this bubbling up of these longstanding issues caught many leaders, including Slay, by surprise. One of my biggest challenges around the time of of Michael Brown's death was that our leadership, our local elected officials, our corporate leaders, our nonprofit leaders weren't stepping up loud enough to say this is an issue, racial inequity is an issue, and we need to do something about it. That's why you had protesters coming to places like St. Louis's City Hall in October The protesters actually demanded to meet with Slay and delivered a list of changes they wanted to see him make. But it wasn't just the protesters talking about these issues, but also many in Slay's support base. Here's Carol again. 
one of the most remarkable things that has come out of Michael Brown's death is that you see a mobilized white community that now is paying attention. And you started to see a shift at this point in Slay's public statements. How so? Well, he still says it's hard for the city alone to address what he says are really regional divides. But he talks about the need to create economic opportunities for minorities, like expanding the STL Youth Jobs Program and building up diversity in unions, things he's talked about before in a colorblind way. But whereas before he had this kind of race-neutral approach to the city's problems, now he's talking about how these racial inequities have to be addressed. What we need to do is continue as a community you know, with a strong resolve uh, to address those issues. And a lot of it has to do with racial disparities and inequities uh, and uh, governance and police tactics and those types of things and make sure that we set a tone and we set an example for other cities. And Slay began to take steps like he did last year when he had all city offices undergo racial equity training. Mary Ellen Ponder credits the mayor for having these conversations about race relations. I don't think it was verbalized as much even three years ago, certainly not not as much seven years ago. And so I think conversation and honesty is a great improvement. So I would say that things are improving simply because it's being discussed. Okay, but did Ferguson really inspire any tangible changes in Slay's policies? Yes. In 2015, he talked about those changes, including in the courts. We lifted 220,000 arrest warrants stemming from minor traffic violations. In staffing police. We've entered into an agreement with the Ethical Society of Police to increase the number of qualified minority police officers in the city of St. Louis. And in handling police-involved shootings. The St. Louis Police Department has created a force investigative unit to review every police-involved shooting. And of course, the big one was the Civilian Oversight Board. Here's Ponder again. I mean, we were headed and working on civilian oversight. Not that that's inherently racially motivated, but it is about, you know, the the African-American community trusting the police department. And we were heading in that direction anyway. The Michael Brown shooting actually, you know, hastened that and made that necessary to move much more quickly. And I'm going to pause you there, Steph, because those criminal justice issues will be talked about more by yours truly in the next episode of The Millennium Mayor. All of the episodes and more details on St. Louis over the last 16 years can be found at stlpublicradio.org slash millenniummayor. Millennium Mayor.